Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Store. This is a podcast for Southeast Utah. Today, my guest is Lenise Peterman, who is the mayor of Helper City. I've personally gotten to know Lenise a little bit in recent months and also learned some about some of her story and learned about her work through some news articles and other interviews she's done. So just to summarize for you, Lenise, uh, Lenise moved to Helper from Salt Lake in 2015, worked as a volunteer co-chairing the Helper Arts Festival and a Helper Revitalization Committee. And then in 2017, she secured a grant on behalf of the city called the Sustainable Design Assessment Team Grant, which was supported by the American Institute of Architecture based out of Washington, D.C., and it was her desire to help implement and make good use of that plan that was part of what led her to run for mayor in 2018. She was elected, is the first woman to ever serve as mayor of Helper City, and has been serving as mayor ever since. So, Lenise, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I know you're extremely busy, and it sounds like this week has been particularly <laughs> packed, so I'm really grateful that you've made time for me and I hope discussing your work in the format of a locally targeted podcast will be helpful and beneficial to you. I think it absolutely will be. And I appreciate that you want to explore what's happening locally, uh, because I feel like sometimes there are some disconnects as much as, you know, I'll go on a radio and talk about good things happening and help her or be in a newspaper. You're not really maybe getting to everyone you need to get to. So this is another great avenue to to get the word out about what's going on. Yeah, thank you. I agree. That's, that's part of what I love, love about podcasts is that people can listen to them on their own time. It's hard to catch a radio interview when it needs to be live. And some people don't even have a radio these days. So uh, I'm glad you, you see the, the benefit of doing this. I, I just uh, my last interview was with uh, Jade Powell. Um, and uh, Tamara Dockstader at the at CERTA. And afterward, I found out that Jade has also started a podcast for Southeast Utah. I had no idea. Uh, so it's I, I checked that out recently. But I figure, you know, the more the, the, more the better. Two podcasts is better than one. Um, uh, you know, no, it can be a, there's no real reason to, to limit ourselves and, and how much we're trying to just uh, share about what's going on. So trying to add to the conversation. All right, so I um, want to just dive right into um, kind of the heart of your your work and allow you to take this question where, where you'd like. I want to ask you, what do you think have been your greatest successes so far in office, or what are you most proud of having accomplished in the now four, four years? Actually, years? seven. I think next year will be my fourth year mm-hmm. of a second term. So and I guess you can also four-year terms can include your your work on the the arts festival and the revitalization committee as well. You know, there when you're when you're in the midst of the work, you don't often pause to look back at the work. So I tend to be forward focused. So I'm looking at what do we need? What what's next? How do I solve this problem? Um, and, and I think it's healthy to pause and turn around and go, oh, wow, we have come so far so quickly um, that it, it's somewhat mind-blowing. But when you're in it, you don't really have that perspective because you're just in it. And I'm always thinking about, you know, I've got an electric grid problem. I need to solve that. And I've been trying to solve it for years. And 
haven't made headway and that's really frustrating to me so that's always kind of in my mind and then it's hey we've completed six phases of great river restoration work but now I've asked them to create a conceptual plan for the next six phases of river work so that we we can continue the forward momentum uh, so when I think about what I'm most proud of probably the SDAT, the Sustainable Design Assessment Team grant. Um, that was a really big deal for the community. The community was struggling at that point in time. And that really jump-started a lot of positive things in Helper. So it brought us together as a community to look at what we could do to be a sustainable community. And I wanted to define that for people. like. It's a big word. What does that mean when we talk about having a sustainable community? And, and what I told people was, we want to take care of our historical assets. We want to maintain the integrity and character of Helper. So that was one of the things specifically I wanted to sustain. We need to take care of our natural resources. The fact that we have a river block off of our historic Main Street we need to take care of that asset and maximize it as a possible economic driver for different businesses or industries uh, to create an attractive place to be. So it's got a lot of uh, ramifications. And then last, I said, we have to replenish our human capital. Um, I love our citizens. I love our older community, but not being attractive to young families, to younger people, is a real issue and and we wanted to create that attractiveness so that young families wanted to be in this space because we have clean air they're close to you know all sorts of natural resources you want to hike you want to bike you know you want to atv well you can do all of that from here um so it it really it was like one pin falling down and then all these amazing things started happening from that effort because the community really coalesced and said we don't want to be a ghost town we know we have to change things we have to diversify our economy we know we have to do that so let's let's make it happen i said instead of being reactive to oh another plant closed oh another mine closed why don't we decide who we want to be and focus on that and make things happen from there hmm. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the clean air. That's one of the things that I most brag about when people ask me why I live out here and what's so great about this place. Just like, well, you know, it's not necessarily obvious, but that is one of the best parts about um, this place as opposed to living in a lot of cities nowadays that are so congested and polluted. It's just nice to be able to breathe clean, fresh air. So I, I love that about this place. But uh, and you answered one of my, my other questions that was going to be about how to define sustainability. What does that look like? I, I might ask you again in a different context in a, in a little bit. But so my next question is, and you, you kind of answered already talking about this, about, about what you're, you're currently doing and what are the, the current and future challenges. I would like to know what are those current challenges looking ahead to the next uh, five or ten years whether you continue serving as mayor or not what do you see as being the greatest challenges for this community and 
And uh, what is it that you're now working on? I'd love to know more about this electrical grid problem because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know anything about that. And I'd also like to know about what these next phases of the river improvement plan look like. Because I know in the last several years, just since I, I've moved here, I got here beginning of 2019, uh, that the river's been cleaned up made more accessible for swimming, for floating, a lot of debris and tree branches and litter has been cleaned out of it. There's been some some beach areas created. So so what what still needs to be done or, or what's next? So back in 2014, they developed a conceptual plan, riverrestoration.org um, really has been a, a key partner in this effort. So they developed a six-phase plan um, to rehabilitate the river. Um, We have completed, just completed, the sixth phase of that. So this took almost 10 years to deliver from phase one to phase 10. And I say that, or six, I say that because um, finding funding is challenging. So the last phase was approximately $2 million. Well, it took me two and a half years to cobble that funding together. So it, you know, we kind of, we spin it as we could get it in and identify what we wanted to do. So I'm actually meeting with riverrestoration.org next week to begin to conceptualize what's next on the river. What should we be looking at? In the process of this work, we've recovered an endangered species fish. Um, We've removed an obsolete dam that will allow the fish to transverse up and down the Price River. They were stymied at this 13-foot dam, um, which was no longer in use. It wasn't um, something we needed to keep. So, um, so what's next is really those next meetings with riverrestoration.org. Trout Unlimited has been key to this effort. Um, the Utah Division of Outdoor Recreation has been key to this effort, as has the Watershed um, uh, Restoration Initiative. So those are all the strategic partners that have come together through all of these phases to help us deliver this project. So we wanna sit down and identify what's next together and then just begin to knock down a phase at a time again. And, you know, I'm concerned about railroad ties coming in from the west side of the the riverbank. So, you know, I've shown them those things that I'm like, I'm personally concerned about these things. Can we look at them? Can we see what we need to do to, secure, you know, um, the, the land because we have homes and other things. So I'm just thinking ahead um, on that piece, but we haven't determined exactly what that is. But once we do, we'll, we'll just get out and start, you know, soliciting funds from our, our people who have sponsored us in the past and believe in us that we'll deliver on what we say we're doing. Hmm. Okay. And you wanted to talk a little bit about the electrical grid. So that's, that's a personal bother to me. Um, our grid is probably 60 to 80 years old in certain spaces. Um, we actually have, uh, poles over the last several years that are just, they've rotted out. I mean, they're 80 years old. Um, our transformers are outdated. Uh, so 
Ideally, I would like to have a big analysis done of the current situation and along with that delivery, a phased approach to, you know, here, Lenise, this is, this is really, you got to address this part of the grid. It's, it's not healthy, you know, but again, it'd have to be phased because we're probably looking at millions of dollars um, and the EPA will support this if I can get that deep analysis done and I've really floundered with getting that funded and just keep I just keep trudging at it and like you know who can help me with with getting this analysis done so that then I can access these EPA dollars uh, to to create a healthy updated grid um, for our citizens so you know that's that's one of the challenges I haven't moved the the needle much on, you know. So mm. it's it's on my mind that and the river. So. Yeah. Any other big challenges you're facing currently or foresee coming down the road? Um. You know, sometimes challenges come at you in ways that you're not expecting. So initially, when I took office. Um, I didn't realize our firefighters had been in technical gear that had been outdated for 10 years. Didn't know I had that problem and was just stunned. Like I couldn't sleep nights thinking about sending out these wonderful volunteers to fight fires in gear that wasn't safe anymore. And it's not for the faint of heart. They're like $3,000 when you do helmet to boots. It's crazy. So in that case, we went out and got some USDA funding to make it happen. Um, So sometimes the challenges maybe aren't just right in front of you, they they surprise you. And, you know, when we're looking at these older communities, it's it's a case of what do I not know that that is going to create an unexpected uh, challenge. So um, that one got resolved. I'm happy to say that was one of the first things I did because I was like, I can't send people out in unsafe gear, you know. And so we addressed that one right away, and that wasn't foreseen. But you know, it's a again kind of case by case. We watch for flooding. Flooding's always at the top of my mind, uh, especially when we have heavy snowfall years like we did last year. We have a lot of constriction points throughout our community with the river that are very small bridges where debris from the Bear Fire, for example, blocked up bridges and created, you know, unsafe situations. I worry about our kids and education. I do a lot with um, Sally Morrow uh, trying to help in whatever way they they know they can tap me. And it, it can be Lenise, our kids need jackets. And I'm like, how many, what sizes? And then I'll go out and make sure we we get those kids' jackets and things of that nature. So education, electrical grid, river, uh, continuing the main street work that we're doing, um, and attracting business. That's really, it's key. It's the key that we're missing, actually. I need to have something come in to help her or close to help her that can employ 20 or 30 people and be well-paying jobs, not get-rich jobs, but I can support a family kind of job um, and affordable housing. See, if I sit here, I'll come up with 
all sorts of problems I have. Um, you know, that's a big concern. Uh, you know, I want our firefighters, our police, our teachers to be able to live in the community that they work in. Um, and right now, I don't know that they can. So that's that's another concern I have. Yeah. Well, this is great. I want to hear about all of it, so don't hold back. So let's talk about growth and, um, you know, this desire to see more more businesses come in. Um, it seems like there's sometimes a tension between people who are more progressive and want to embrace growth and change and those who like things the way they are or even like things the way they used to be and would rather go back in time. So as we, as you and the city continues to embrace arts and tourism, are, do you feel like we're at risk of becoming like Park City or, you know, the worst of Park City, meaning another, uh, this is just what I've heard people say, you know, another like bougie playground for the rich um, where there's way too many Airbnbs and all of the working class renters are priced out. So what do you think is, in terms of growth, the most fair, equitable, sustainable way forward? And how do we protect the more vulnerable members of our community from these, what, you know, in part are just real estate market forces acting on us? How do we mitigate the potential damage that inevitably comes with that change? You know, that's that's another big uh, challenge because when I think about where we were and where we were heading, it, it's a case of you have to embrace changes in order to, to keep moving forward. Like if we had just stopped in 2015 um, and had given up um, on trying to be attractive or trying to do things, uh, helper would not be what it is today. That's just true. It, it, you know, we had almost every building was empty unless an artist was in it and generally probably living in it and working in it and not really opening a door because they're living there and they're producing their work there. So, you know, that was a challenge. Um, I don't see as ever being Park City. We don't have the assets that they have. Um, so I don't. When people say that, I kind of go, it, it just, I don't see that happening. We're, we're not configured for it, and I don't think we'll ever be that. Um, I think it's important that we retain our identity, our historic identity, our historic character. Um, those are all uh, part of what makes Helper kind of the cool place it is, is, is those attributes. And... For people, it's it's the Airbnbs are a challenge, but I think they're a challenge everywhere. I don't think we're immune to that challenge. Um, in my perfect world, we'd keep them to kind of a commercial district and not so much in our residential areas. Um, but when it comes to dictating to private property owners what they can and can't do with their property, it, you know, that's another kind of conundrum like I tell people private property is like the king of the the laws like if you own it and you trash it I can complain to you I can fine you but ultimately there's not a whole lot and it will take 10 years to to do what I need to do um, and sometimes citizens don't actually understand that and and they get frustrated you know my neighbor doesn't take care of their yard 
we can knock, we can talk, but you know, our actions are somewhat limited because guess what? It is private property, you know? Uh, so that kind of folds into the Airbnb dialogue because I, I would love to have people available and living here that work here, that play here, um, and want to be here and be part of our community, um, have the opportunity to, to reside in a home where they can have a family, you know? Um, so I don't have the answer to that. I've talked to a lot of people um, who are working on like Airbnb policies at the state level. Um, there are some state representatives uh, from different areas who are kind of trying to understand that landscape and bring forth some legislation. Uh, so I'm just kind of, without the bandwidth, you know, those are the people that I'm like looking for guidance for how to, how do you balance those things? And, you know, you want to be welcoming to guests, but you want to have people be able to live in a home here. So it's, you know, it's a balancing act at the end of the day. And I don't know that I have the best answer, to be honest. I think we'll have to explore it and we may, we may make some decisions that are wrong, you know, and have to learn from that. But that's that's the luxury of government. If you make a bad decision, you can retract it, you know, and learn from it and make it better. So that's it's yeah. tough. That yeah. one's tough. Are there limits to growth for Helper in terms of, so I know we want to attract more jobs and businesses. Are you also hoping to attract more people and grow the population? Is that desirable? Do you want to see more homes built? And if so, what is what is the limit to that growth? You know, Helper City owns some property on the east side that could be developed. Um, so I've been talking with um, Sulag about their self-help build program. Um, I would love to, to work with them and partner with them. We could probably put up 10 to 12 houses um, that these folks participate in the building of the home. You know, um, they get their family and friends. I'm helping on one in price this year. So um, I'd love to be able to um, expand that on the east side. And it's just this couple of parcels of land that we have there. Um, I've got developers who want us to annex in properties, um, which is a, a planning and zoning and legislative uh, process. So um, as long as we can deliver services, we can annex in parties or parcels. So, um, you know, the ball's kind of in their court. It's like, you, you've got to go through the annexation process. I don't do that. You know, you come to us with a request. Um, so those are ways we're looking at um, growing. Um, you know, we have some commercial opportunities around Highway 6 that um, could be something, but, you know, um, it, it's interesting where industries are, but really anything in Carbon County would be impactful to us because people want to live here. So if, if we land an industry off Ridge Road, for example, some of those people will live here and some of those people will frequent here. They'll come and eat, you know, at the Balance Rock or Helper Beer or whatever. They'll come and spend money in galleries. So, you know, 
collectively it's a win wherever it is so mm. we are somewhat limited and landlocked between yeah. the book cliffs and the river and just different things right I think part of what makes Helper so beautiful and charming and our main street in particular is that it is very pedestrian scale and it's a you know one lane in each direction very narrow road and that just makes it it's a it makes it feel like it's designed for human beings and not automobiles in contrast to a lot of small towns throughout rural Utah where Main Street is the highway going through the middle of town and it's like a hundred feet across the road and you've got it's busy and there's all this traffic and you've got two opposite sides of Main Street that are completely disconnected from each other. I wonder how that happened or came to be was it just accidental that main street was off the highway instead of going the highway going right through actually it did go right through so you know people um people are always so concerned about credit right like i did this i want credit you know i'm i'm not like that i don't really care um but if i were to credit the revitalization effort the start of it I would actually credit Dean Armstrong, who was, um, I don't know, two mayors prior to me. Um, he went out and um, cobbled together a lot of money to redo our water and sewer systems. Um, without his efforts, um, we, we would, it would be terrible. Our pipes were in horrible condition. They ceramic, you know, they were just falling apart. Um, so when he undertook that effort, and that really was from 2012 and it finished in 2017, uh, when they did Main Street, which was the highway previously, so it was huge, it was super wide, what they collectively decided to do was to narrow it and create traffic commerce to slow people down. So those little jutting outserts, those are called traffic commerce. It's meant to calm traffic. Like you don't want to hit that, slow down, you know. Um, so they envisioned a main street uh, which was more narrow and walkable uh, and, and did that through that project, through that water and sewer project. So um, I totally give him kudos um, on that effort. And it really, uh, if you're taking care of your infrastructure, then you can talk about beautifying, you can talk about being attractive, you can talk about all these other things. But if you can't deliver clean water and power to people, you have bigger problems and you're not worried about these other things. So um, that was a key. I mean, again, we've had a bunch of little dominoes falling, but without that effort, we wouldn't be where we are today. So um, mm -hmm. many thanks and kudos to Dean Armstrong for having that vision, getting that funding. Um, you know, we're bonded until I am long dead. I'll say that. We write out huge checks every year, um, but we know our water infrastructure is good and we're delivering clean water to citizens and, and that's paramount. Yeah, wow, so interesting to know. I, I had no idea. I think that was 
a brilliant move. Maybe one of the single best things that could have possibly been done for this town is just to separate the highway traffic off of Main Street and make it make it pedestrian friendly and walkable. So the other thing that I think makes this place so attractive and why it feels so different to people, especially compared to a lot of other typical rural small towns, is um, a, a lack of, for one thing, fast food restaurants and just giant logos on sticks, which is what dominates the visual landscape of so many small rural towns. You know, there's I've seen memes online just kind of poking fun at that fact. It's like you see a a picture of like a small town, it's all these logos on sticks, the big golden arches and the, the gas station signs, and it's like this could be anywhere in the in the country really. And Helper has none of that. So that's another thing I wonder about. Was that intentional? And are there uh, you know, are there rules in place that prohibit uh, certain kinds of signage? And are there efforts to keep out fast food restaurants, for example? Well, you know, we do have um, a variety of ordinances, historic preservation ones, as well as signage. Um, so uh, those rules are in place. Um, but I think really, it comes down to it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the character of Main Street. So, you know, if McDonald's showed up today, I, I would not be in favor of plopping them on Main Street. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing where I say, hey, Highway 6 is just right there. Let's talk about spaces. You know, I can connect you with property owners because the city doesn't own any of that, but would love to have you on Highway 6 at the outskirts of uh, Main Street, because I think the character of Main Street um, is critical. And and it's a big card. I like to play that card about, you know, uh, pursuing facade programs that protect um, the facades. You, ha you have to upgrade when you do things, right? But behind that facade, you can do all your upgrades. Um, if you maintain that historical character and relevance, um, you're all contributing. All the buildings are contributing to the historic value of Helper. Um, and that's that's something, you know, you can't you can't replace it if you tear it down. Um, and the other thing is is Main Street just doesn't have a lot of empty spaces for for that type of business to to come in. Um, and and I'm thankful for that, you know, I think, uh, it just, it doesn't fit the character. And, and I'm not saying it's awful to have a McDonald's in your community by any stretch. I'm just saying it doesn't fit Main Street and Helper. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Highway 6 and uh, these kinds of businesses, I'm just curious if you have an opinion on the Family Dollar. That was one of the newer businesses that got built recently. And I guess maybe it's not technically in Helper City Limits, uh, maybe, no, it is. Oh, it is? Okay. It is. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious if you have any feelings and, and, you know, maybe as mayor, there's certain things that you just, you don't want to say or talk bad about, but I've read some articles about Family Dollar, Family General, these chains in particular, having kind of a, a worsening effect on impoverished rural places that contributes to them becoming food deserts and uh, it's just generally not not good for these small local economies so how do you feel about about that well you know they had approached the city prior to me becoming the mayor to open a shop on main street 
um, which uh, did not proceed, which I was, I personally was glad did not proceed. Um, again, they came, that happened under my watch um, on Highway 6. And, you know, having local retail was attractive, you know, instead of having to go to Walmart to buy your kid, you know, a three ring binder, can you just go to Family Dollar and buy a three ring binder? So um, in that regard, it was attractive. The sales tax, the jobs, you know, retail jobs, at least their jobs. Uh, so, um, you know, after the fact, I've kind of heard a lot of the, the same things that you referenced, the impact that they have on communities. Um, which is unfortunate because if you go through any rural town in Utah, you're going to see one of those. You know, you're going to see them in Monticello. You're going to see them in Blanding. You're you're just going to see them. Uh, and I don't know. You know, when they came in, they had they had pitched that they they were competing with the WalMarts of the world, not not with the moms and pops. But you know, those were the customers they were trying. Uh, to target, um, to get them to, to buy locally. Um, so, you know, overall, I don't, um, the sales tax has not been what I would have hoped, you know, but also in the midst of this, we had COVID. So they opened and then they had COVID and, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to gauge kind of what the impact has been, honestly, um, in that case. So, yeah, it is such a, just a tough call, like you say, there, there's a benefit to having these types of stores. That's why they're so successful and why well, why these companies are also so profitable is because they've, they've figured this out, that there there is this need in, in poor rural areas for just accessible, cheap goods. And so on one hand, it does feel like advantageous for low-income families to have access to that store. But at the same time, yeah, it seems like maybe not great for uh, people in general long-term. Um, so I'm kind of curious, maybe just to talk about like poverty in general. And you, you mentioned your work with, with the elementary school and this need, for example, for, for some children to have just winter coats when, when they aren't, their families, I guess, can't afford to provide that. Or, you know, unfortunately in some homes, kids are just, neglected for whatever reason um we we kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday actually but um i just i'm curious about your your personal opinion on the matter my question is basically you know there's i think controversy around the role of schools and how much they should be providing to children in terms of um well like food is a big one food and nutrition and so there's there's always this fight over uh, how much more to invest in or allocate funding for higher quality school lunches in public schools. And a lot of pushback against that from people that think, you know, it's not the responsibility of the government or the schools to, to provide these things. It's the, the role of the family and it's, it's the job of parents. But it seems like one of the biggest um, discrepancies, you know, in, in terms of just opportunity and equal equal opportunities, especially for kids who, they're, if they're just set up right out of the gate to fail because 
they don't have adequate nutrition or they don't have a winter coat and they're, they're not going to be able to keep up with their peers every year. They're falling further behind. I don't know. To me, this is one of the things that I feel really strongly about. I would love to see, um, you know, the, the food nutrition piece is probably the thing I would most like to see there be a more of an investment in, but you've obviously done a lot of work on this and, and are, are pretty involved. So could you just talk a little bit about, you know, what's the problem as you see it? What what do you think could be done to address it? Um, and if you had, you know, if you could just have the ability and to, to get something done at it, even a federal level, like what would you like to see happen? So here locally, Sally Morrow is a Title I school. And when I say that, it means 50%, more than 50% of our kids are on a free breakfast, free lunch program. These are the kids that I worry about do they get food during the summer months? Um, you know, going back to the the winter coat story, I mean, you're right, they're behind. So, you know, I feel as a society, we have a duty to support these children to be as successful as they can be. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, give them Gucci backpacks, but if it's, 28 degrees and you're cold, you know, how can you truly function? If you're eight years old and you're hungry and someone's trying to teach you how to read or math, you're not connected. You're not connected because your your needs are not being met at the most fundamental level. You know, am I warm? Do I have food? Do I have water? You know, um, and I feel quite strongly about this too. Like, to me, these are our kids. They're not like, you know, family definitions have become so fluid here in the last 20, 30 years. Um, I see all of those kids as someone, people we need to be watching out for collectively as a community. And, you know, one of the positive stories I'll share with you is during COVID, we had classes, they fell off the charts with reading because guess what? Everyone was wearing masks. They couldn't see the teacher's lips. They couldn't, you know, articulate the phonetic sound or what it was, right? So our second graders were so far behind. I mean, in a bad way. Um, and the PTA came to me and said, Lenise, we need, we need people to help us read with these children. And I said, what do I have to do? How many people do you need? And let me, and I'll you know, I want your approval for what I'm doing, but I'm going to go make this happen because our kids need help to catch up. So, you know, again, Facebook radio just said, I need people to go get background checks at the school district. Here's what you have to do. And I need you to get to Sally Morrow and sign up for a time and you're going to read with a kid. And, and work with that kid just on reading. We ended up having so many volunteers, we took it to the third and fourth grade classes because I was like, these are our kids, our kids. We have to help them and we need people who can step in and do this. Um, and the response was overwhelming. So, I mean, there's a real connect you know, we'll do river work projects and I'll bring our senior citizens and the kids from Helper Middle School and say, we're gonna clean the river walk this year. 
you're with that that person, you're over there, you're over there. Um, it activates our seniors, it, it connects the kids to a community member, um, and you know we got their scores up. And that was fundamentally at the end of the day is if you can't read, I don't know what you can do in life. I truly don't know what you can do. Um, that's just so fundamental in everything. Um, so those types of things, I feel strongly compelled that we have to step up our game and pay attention to what's going on in our schools. You know, our teachers are underpaid. They don't have supplies. I mean, it's just tragic all the way around. And they build these bills at the legislature. It's infuriating where they package up all this stuff and they'll tell you, oh, but there's a raise in there for teachers. But to get to that raise, you have to agree to all these things that you don't want, you know? And it's like, you're not really supporting education. Give me an education bill. Don't give me a, a bill where you just feather in a few pennies for something, you know? It's just, it's infuriating. And the last time they tried to do this, the teacher union came out and said, we don't want this. And they were like, well, we're trying to give you a raise. And they were like, but we don't want this. This bill is a bad bill. And you're you're trying to feather in this thing that will make it attractive to people. It's just mind blowing to me. Um, but if we don't help these kids who are struggling, who are hungry, who aren't, don't have jackets, um, we're just, we're creating this cycle of in, the intergenerational poverty. They don't know how to break that. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to get a job. They don't, you know what I mean? So we have to step in. I believe that. And uh, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, but in a way that gives these kids just a chance. Just give them a chance to be successful. I mean, my mom was an elementary school teacher in an incredibly poor district in Louisiana, and she would feed those kids. This is pre-free lunch, free break, because she said they can't think. I, I can stand up here and teach, but they can't think. So, you know, yes, I bring cereal. I bring, you know, this so that they can have something to eat, and then they can, like, focus for a few minutes and try to learn something, so... So I learned that way back, way back. It's yeah. very important to me. Yeah. Well, it's really inspiring to hear about the, the reading mentorship tutoring program. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, um, look forward to figuring out how, what, what more we can do in the coming years. This has just come on my, my radar more and more recently, realizing how, how big of a problem it is and how important it is. It's not something that I've been very aware of because I don't have children, but starting to see it more and more. All right, so let's talk about, I want to ask you about Helper Saturday Vibes. This is a, an event series that's newer uh, in recent years. And again, kind of related to the conversation about growth and uh, people having different opinions about what they want to see happen or not happen here. Sure. Uh, you know, I've heard this event series has rubbed some people the wrong way. There's been a little bit of conflict surrounding it, but I want to know, what do you think? Has, has vibes as they call it been overall a boon for the town and local businesses? Has it been successful? How has the city's relationship with the organizers been? And are there any changes being made 
for this upcoming year due to public feedback or criticism? Sure. So uh, that group is really open to feedback. Kudos to them, you know, for for listening to where the citizens are at um, and things that they didn't like uh, in regards to vibes. You know, it was too too often. It was, you know, the first year they did it every weekend. So then they took it to twice a month, you know. So um, they do try hard to incorporate um, feedback. Uh, As we've worked together, the city with Vibes, um, this was our third year. Uh, It was for the first time a cakewalk for everybody. I think we really figured things out in year one and two as far as city engagement, what they needed from us, what we needed from them. Uh, so uh, by far, I felt like the best year um, in, in that regard with, this, with the city and how we work together with Vibes, closing streets, uh, you know, making sure the fire department could get to, you know, fire engines in the, in the event that they got called out during the Vibes. Uh, so we had a lot of learning uh, in the beginning, I would uh, agree to that. But I think, again, we kind of hit it on all cylinders this uh, past year. We see it as, um, again, an economic tool. You know, it's bringing people into the city. A lot of people, um, you know, they track, they have data points, you know, how many are from Carbon County, what percentage visited from outside of the area. So, you know, they're, they're, Really, their plan for next year is to expose it outside of the area and market outside of the area more to, you know, bring outside dollars in so that people stay the night, eat eat in the restaurants, buy from the craftsmen and enjoy the music, that type of thing. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a growing pain. You, you have to look at I don't want anything to change. And and to those people, I say, if nothing changed, Helper would be on its way out the door, you know, 10 years later. Like, be honest with yourself. Where we were wasn't a good place, you know. And it's hard to digest those changes that get hoisted on you, you know. Um, But I also say you have to you have to kind of roll with it and see how it works out and how how these new things like vibes how they can positively impact the community um you know and the the negative impact i feel like we've really talked through and worked through and we've addressed you know we're worried about you know people driving and drinking that was a big deal in year one and two um really by this year they kind of wrap that up they they were very cautious and you know we were making sure people weren't out um, in a way that could hurt themselves or others so um, but again new new can be scary uh, and it's hard in small communities I feel like sometimes when you bring about change of that nature it can be intimidating. I don't, I don't know these people like I know everybody else. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't get to know them. And one of the key things I think is important for helpers is to be welcoming of everybody. I don't care if you're purple. I don't care. You know, I mean, I want you to feel welcome and helper and comfortable. And, you know, 
I can't think of another place where people just walking down the street, hi, you know, someone asked me one day, like, everyone waves at everyone. I said, yeah, it's great. It's a small town. That's what we do, you know, and they're like, well, did you know them? No, but, you know, we wave anyway because it's a small community. Um, so uh, I really, I, I think they've, they've got it figured out and I think we'll continue to see year over year improvements from the Vibes group. Um, and I think anytime you can get people together for food and music and art, it's a great thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, I think everybody feels that the, the openness and welcoming atmosphere of this place and how accepting and inclusive it is. I do want to just acknowledge that, especially in terms of um, being being welcoming and, and uh, like kind of a safe haven for LGBT folks. I think Utah in particular has kind of a bit of a problem with that. And I mean, I understand, you know, not everybody's in support of the, the pride stuff and that's fine. They don't have to participate or, you know, they can just ignore it. But, you know, Utah is a, is a hard place to live for a lot of LGBT people, especially the youth, um, because of obviously just, you know, the LDS church and conservative ideas. And um, I, I found it interesting. I found out at some point years ago that Salt Lake City has, I think, the second largest pride celebration after San Francisco, which is so interesting. And I assumed that was just because in this conservative, predominantly LDS region, you know, all these LGBT kids just sort of flocked to one place where they could have a community and feel safe together. That's That was my, my theory about why Salt Lake of all places. But I think Helper is kind of an anomaly. Um, it's really one of the only other places that, uh, especially for a small rural town, that, that feels that way and just very, very evident. Um, and I think it has been very successful in, in attracting a number of LGBT folks um, who were just looking for a place to call home and a place where they can feel safe and feel like they have community and are supported. And I'm, I mean, just not that I have anything to do with that, but that's one of the things that makes me feel most proud of, of this town and, uh, the culture that we have here. So I don't know a whole lot about your, your work and just what you're doing day to day. I know, but I, can tell that you're very involved and I have noticed on occasion just these instances where you're, you know, I'll, I'll read in, in the paper or see some social media posts about it or I'll, I'll even attend a, a public hearing and I see how much kind of heat and flack and criticism that you, you take and what you're exposed to and just some of this, this drama that goes on and uh, I've heard you mentioned just how some people can get really upset in some of these these uh, city council meetings, public hearings, and you have to deal with people like literally screaming in your mm -hmm. face at times. Yep. It sounds exhausting and so stressful. And I just want to know, like, what keeps you going? What is it that inspires you to want to keep doing this work? And when you could just so easily be relaxing and enjoying retirement and ignoring all of this. Sure. You know, um, it's... It's what you sign up for when you engage public service, um, and it's not the fun part. I, I'm the first person to say that because, you know, the, the dialogue has changed so much. The rhetoric has changed so much and is so personal and so ugly. And, 
you know, I have to go home and say, you know what, these people don't know me. They, they don't know the first thing about me. They don't know who I am. They don't know what's important to me as a person. Because it's almost like you're not a person to them. You know, you're, you're this, this servant that you, you need to deliver whatever it is they think, and you're not doing that. And it, it can get really, um, you know, and these are people you're going to see again. It's not like Salt Lake where come yell at me and I may never see you again on the street. I'm for sure going to see you again on the street somewhere, sometime, right? Um, so uh, I always like to tell people you really, you have to divorce that from who you are and you have to divorce it from taking it home. Um, you know, uh, I appreciate that my wife, Kate, when people approach her about you need to tell the mayor, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I'm out. I don't tell the mayor anything because when we go home, we're at home. It's, she's not the mayor there. Like you, you know, you go tell the mayor. If you, I'm not, I'm not that party. I'm not that vessel to bring that message. So she's created some good boundaries around her to say, mm -mm, I, I'm not telling the mayor anything. You tell the mayor. Um, but you kind of have to, you have to have, um, some resilience to it. And I try to remember that, you know, the loudest people are probably the smallest amount of people, right? Like, I would say probably most people are happy with the job I'm doing. Happy people don't usually tell you they're happy. They're just over there doing their thing and they're happy. Um, so it's that 5%, 10% of people who um, can be quite brutal, you know, and I have to remember that, hey, there are these people over here, they're just quiet. They're just, they're doing their thing and, and they are happy. And I have a great story. Um, I was on the river walk because someone had posted, you know, there's all this dog poop. It's all over the river walk. You need to clean it up. So I thought, well, I'm going to go check it out right because i when i see those things i actually do notice and i'm like oh haven't been there lately let me go look well they were right it was a mess well i have a dog and i have a pooper scooper so i was out there scooping up poop on the river walk and a citizen came by with her dog um don't know her and she said my dog wants to give you five dollars to get a coffee you know you're out here working on this and i said well ma'am i can't I can't take your $5, but tell your dog, thank you. And, you know, have a, have a doggy bag with you, please. Um, and she was so sweet. She was like, no, really, my dog wants you to have this. And I said, okay, like I'm the mayor. I can't really take your money. So, but thank you. And she was like, I know you're the mayor and you're doing a wonderful job. And I don't know this woman. Those are the people I serve, right? Are those people who maybe I don't see them or hear from them, but are quite happy with what's going on and think I'm doing a good job. And, you know, I say that's evident in the fact that no one ran against me when I ran for a second term. Like I felt like that's uh, an affirmation of the work that I'm doing. I'm doing the right thing for all of us. And I try to focus on all of us. I can't I can't do a special project for a person or a special group. I, it's got to benefit all of us. And I use that as my moral compass. Like, 
and whatever it is I'm doing, is it a positive impact? And I get, you know, there are going to be people who are unhappy, but is the overall impact good for all of us? Then I have to, to do that, you know, and I do that with Carbon County. Um, you know, we really, I don't know what transpired before, but we've built some bridges and we understand collectively that to be successful, we all have to be successful. It's not like, oh, helpers great. They're doing great. I need Price to do just as great. I need Wellington. I need East Carbon. I need everyone to be and do just as great as people see that we're doing. Um, and I'm happy to to help in any way I can. I just wrote a Carbon County grant, you know, that we submitted last week and it's for Carbon County. But it benefits Helper, but it benefits Price and Wellington and East Carbon too. So, I mean, you've got to have the greater good in your head and you have to be resilient to um, the somewhat negative personal feedback and just go that, you know, you can have that opinion can't change that opinion and I don't really argue it I don't argue negative feedback on Facebook posts I there's just it's a battle you can't win and you end up down this crazy rabbit hole so you know even when I post hey we just want a grant for the river and it's gonna be awesome you know I had a party post well I can dig a ditch and I'm like I bet you can. Well, I didn't respond to it. I bet you can, but I bet you can't do it in a way that rehabilitates an organism like a river is. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, got to set that one aside and, you know, um, and just hope that people be happy that we're doing good things. So, yeah. Can I ask, what is the compensation for you for, for the mayor's office? Um, after taxes, about $270 a month. So wow. $300 a month. So it really is basically a service position. Yes. Yeah. I think it's important for people to know that just seeing how hard you work and how little you're actually compensated. Um, yeah. You, you deserve more credit. Uh, so I want to know, bef I got just a few more questions, but um, kind of related to what you were just saying, do you feel like there are any lately or now rumors, misconceptions, misinformation that you'd like to speak to or try to clear up or just any message that you would like to, to say to the broader community? You know, um, I like to think I'm really approachable and I people approach me if I'm out and about uh, in public and I enjoy that. I enjoy the, the dialogue because maybe I can clear up a misunderstanding. I think a lot of people don't quite understand how government works. Like we're not a for-profit business entity. At the end of the day, I just want to cover my costs and break even. You know, I don't, I don't want to bring over lots of money. I don't want to be in the red lots of money. You know, I'm here to provide services to our citizens. Um, I try to listen. I try to take action where I can. Um, sometimes I can't, depending on what I'm being asked for to do. Um, and I try to explain to people like, okay, I hear you. That's not a priority right now. Here's where I think we can work it in. But that's kind of the best I can do right now. Um, so I think it's important to have that two-way communication going on so that, um, People are aware, you know, we're just trying to do the best we can for everyone. And 
Um, you know, I I don't pay a lot of attention to rumors. I, I like I said, I don't I don't engage on Facebook wars. It's not healthy. It's not productive. My position is, if you think something, call me up and I'll tell you if it's true or not. You know, I had a citizen do that. Um, who called to say, oh, I heard you were resigning because of this and this and this. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. But no, I wasn't planning on that. And they're so like, oh, okay. Yeah, I just thought I'd clear that up. I said, okay. I don't know who told you that, but good, you know. Um, so it's a lot easier if you come directly to to the city if you have concerns or, you know, um, you feel like there's there's these rumors. I just, I can't combat that. I just can't play in that, that game. I just, I'm like, you know, I'm just here trying to do good stuff. That's it. If you want to know anything about me, that's all I'm trying to do is deliver good stuff. So, um, and if you don't think that that's what I'm about, then you don't know me and I can't know everyone, um, to that level where they would believe that about me. So, yeah. You can feel free to decline to answer this next question, but I would love to know if you're willing to share what your plans for the future might be, how much longer you see yourself in this current position, and if you might uh, run for any other office in the future. I, I've heard some of, you know, you have a lot of supporters and fans locally. <laughs> I've heard people like express that they would like to see you run for a, a higher office in state or federal government even. Do you have any any thoughts or plans on the future we might do? You know, I've got another year. Um, I'd like to deliver on um, a lot of things that I have in process. Uh, I like to I like to finish up things. It's my nature. Um, uh, I've certainly thought about it. I've certainly been approached by a variety of people to run uh, for other offices. Um, it's certainly. Uh, not something um, not something I'm ready to commit to, but it's something that I would totally be open to uh, as long as I can continue to have a positive impact, you know, at a county or state level. Um, you know, as long as uh, the the citizens feel good, I have one citizen who says I have to be mayor until she dies. <laughs> I love Miss Mike O'Shea, and I'm just like, okay, let's not die, and then let's not tie me up like that, you know? And she's like, you have to be mayor until I die. Um, she's delightful. She's an educator. So, uh, but, um, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm open to it, I'd say that, because I do believe it's important to, to have democracy work and for people to move on if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be the mayor for 20 years. I, it just, it wouldn't be healthy for a helper. It wouldn't be healthy for me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's in the cards for sure. I agree. Yeah. You, you, nobody should really stay in any position for very long. Like you say, it's not good for, for anyone. I personally would, would love to see you, um, continue this, this journey and, of, of leadership and, working in government, um, I, I kind of want to just compliment you and appreciate you for a minute, which I'm sure is uncomfortable and you're, you're a very humble person. So I know that you maybe don't want to hear this, but I want other people to hear this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable for me when people like compliment me to my face, I get so shy and just like, I almost 
can't hear it. It's yeah. like I sort of just block it out in the moment. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, want to personally express my appreciation for you because like you said, when things are going well and you're doing your job for the people that are, you know, happy with it and grateful and they oftentimes don't express it and they just kind of are like, okay, yeah, whatever. And they, they're just living their lives. And so I, it's, it's sort of unfortunate, not only for you, but for all politicians, um, you know, we all the attention goes to the the people who are most toxic and demanding the most attention mm -hmm. and causing the most controversy, and the people who are just diligently doing their best and actually making a positive difference and doing a good job are are too unrecognized and overlooked. So I I uh, think you're just doing an awesome job. I wanted to share one one story that uh, uh, from a couple of years ago, a friend of mine who's a first responder told me at one point that uh, um, you had asked the, the first responders what, what you could do to, to support them, essentially, and that they had said, well, why don't you come out to some calls with us so you can see what we do firsthand. And they said that they didn't actually expect you to take them up on that offer and go on these emergency first responder calls. And then you did, and they were all they were all surprised and had a lot of respect for you for that. That you were just going out to with them to respond to emergencies because you because they told you that's what would be helpful and that's what they needed, and and you took them up on that and, and were willing to do it. And I just see you, you know, you're so involved, and I mean, even beyond just your role as mayor, you do so many things in the community that that you don't have to do, and I just feel like. We are so lucky to have you. Oh, that's sweet. And and uh, I'm I'm really glad to know you. My my other story I wanted to share was just that when I first moved here in 2019, I somehow bumped into you onto the street out here and just introduced myself and told you that I I bought the store in Kenilworth and and uh, you made me feel really really welcome and right at home. At you know and and coming in here, I didn't know anybody. I don't have any family locally. Um, my dad actually grew up in Moab, so my, my uh, grandparents and great-grandparents lived down there, but I, I, they're all deceased, and I no longer have family in southeast Utah, and moving here from, uh, I'd been working in California at the time, was, was kind of a scary leap, um, but you were one of the people that just made me feel, feel very welcome and, and supported. The, oh, oh, the thing I remember you telling me was just that if I needed anything to reach out to you because you considered... Kenilworth to be kind of like a like a, a little brother or a little mm -hmm. sister community to help her and that meant a lot to me and uh, I've kind of always had that in the back of my mind just knowing like okay if I need help or support I can always call the niece she, yep. she told me I could and uh, I haven't really taken you up on that <clears throat> yet but uh, you know just in the five years that I've been working on that building and basically I feel like kind of um, finding myself in a in a a leadership position um, in a role kind of similar to yours where you know our, our our elders a lot of them have passed away our current elders who have the seniority and all the the years of experience like living in Kenilworth and have provided leadership in the past they're, they're getting to a point where they're they're just slowing down they're they're tired they've got health complications and I'm, I'm seeing that they, they can't really provide that anymore and they're looking around to the next generation to step up and try to kind of serve and lead this community. And obviously as an unincorporated community, we don't have a, a mayor or city council. So 
I've kind of taken it upon myself a little bit to just want to kind of see what I can do to, to mm-hmm. serve my, my neighbors in this community and improve it. And I mean, I've barely scratched the surface. I've had my hands full just trying mm-hmm. to renovate this building, but that's always kind of been uh, part of my my longer term vision looking ahead, thinking about what can I do for Kenilworth. And in this time, I just, I look up to you so much as an example. I'm just seeing how you lead and your style and all that you've accomplished has been really inspiring for me and uh, has has really informed my my kind of goals and visions for the future, for for the kind of impact that I would like to have, have there and, and more broadly in this county. So. Thank you. I remember meeting you yeah. on the street. We sat on the street and talked. Yeah. I do. <laughs> you know? Cool. So, yes, I, I remember that, and I commend you for getting involved. We are desperate for good leaders. I'm The country is desperate for good leaders. It's, it's not just localized, but it's everywhere, you know? So I, I appreciate your getting involved. Um, I understand, you know, people have to get some personal things squared away and and you know there are points in your life where you can offer more service than not and seems like you're about to get to some openings and and that'll be awesome to see what you can do and bring outside in views of communities are how we make change so you could be key to carbon county and getting us to the next level Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to get more involved and see what I can do. Um, I feel feel really passionate about service and rural revitalization, and I feel like, you know, I was kind of uh, kind of I I was raised LDS, but I've as an adult always been kind of an agnostic. Though, you know, just coming here is one of those things in life that felt like divine intervention, or like, man, maybe there's a God. Maybe he does have a plan for me. Maybe it's like I was brought here for a reason. It's it's kind of eerie. Um, it's making making me uh, believe in something again. And uh, like you said, I just feel like the country at large, I mean, the world, where it's like, I don't know, if you look at it one way, it's like, okay, everything's getting better. Things have never been better by so many measures and statistics, but also, in, on, on the other hand, like things are getting more precarious and uh, fragile, fragile. And I feel like the stakes have never been higher. And um, as much as many good things as there are happening, like the the opposing forces of evil and chaos are are just as powerful. And there's so much negativity and toxicity. And and uh, that just kind of seeing what's going on has has made me feel really uh, obligated, I guess, to to do something. Like I can't just hang out at home in my garden and paint landscapes for the rest of my life as much as I would like love to do that and I, I do enjoy gardening and painting you know in my downtime but uh, yeah I feel like it's uh, it's just I can't expect any any uh, I have to be the change that I want to see I can't expect anybody else to do the job that I want to see happen and so yeah that's been kind of becoming more more clear to me that um, I have uh, obligations and responsibilities, and I'm, I'm trying to find out what those are. So last thing I wanted to ask you is just if uh, you could tell us anything, any ways that we can support you, um, you know, people in the community uh, can support you and your work or 
Alternatively, if you have any suggestions about where where people should uh, direct their energy and, and efforts if they want to do something to help improve this community, for example, volunteering or, or whatever else. We can always find projects for volunteers. Um, I love that. Um, and if you are coming to the city with a problem, it is so helpful if you have considered a solution or an option and not just gifting the problem. Um, it's It makes for a stronger conversation and clearer direction if you arrive and say, hey, I've noticed this and I had this idea that if we took this action, it would help that. And um, it makes it much more meaningful because then both parties have skin in it and want to see the change or the, the positive thing you're trying to, to do. But, um, you know, helping out with the schools, helping us in the spring. I never have enough public work staff, you know, to keep everything up that I'd love to keep up. The cemetery, the river walk. You know, let us know and, and we'll put together a group and, and go out and do things. And, you know, I don't ask often. And when I do, I show up. I'm asking and I'm showing up. It's not just, oh, you go do that. Um, it goes back to service leadership. That's really what you have to deliver in rural Utah is not only do you lead it, you have to serve what you're doing. And that means showing up as much as you can um, you know, so when I ask people and I can't be there, that's a, more unusual than asking people to do something and, you know, being there. So I think that's, you know, key to a lot of what we've been able to accomplish here. Mm. So that reminds me one final question. I heard that there's a vacancy on the city council or you, you've had trouble like filling all the seats on the city council. Are you still looking for people? <clears throat> I need two council members. Um, we're in an unusual situation. So we had three seats that were up at election time, uh, but we only had three candidates register. So um, we didn't host an election. Uh, Unfortunately, one of the candidates relocated, went to Kentucky, so they fell out, which meant we couldn't replace them until January when they would have joined us. Um, and then uh, Mallory DeVincent just resigned last week, so we'll be looking to replace her. So the way this system works, and this is all by state statute, uh, council will perform interviews at the first council meeting, which I will only have three council members. Um, they will perform interviews in a public venue, you know, asking the potential candidates questions. They will then vote on those candidates um, to complete those seats or fill those seats, but the terms will only be for two years. And that's because by state statute, you cannot appoint someone for a four-year elected position. So these will be two-year terms um, appointed by our council, and then uh, those two positions will be up at the next election cycle. Mm. So, so you are you are looking for some people to step, step up and... Absolutely. Uh, applications are at City Hall. Uh, you can talk to Zach Tonk or Billy. Um, they have them available. Uh, and we will bring all of those parties into that first meeting once we have our new council seated. Um, and then 
the homework is is on them to you know or the decision is on them and in the event um, that they can't come to a conclusion because I I don't know if two out of three or if all three have to agree but there's no breaking of a tie well there couldn't be a tie with three of them but um, you know it, it goes back to coin flips state statute so whatever mm. you know um, it, it has happened in helper before where four of them could not agree and it was two and two and the mayor can't break a tie mm. so you know that's that's the way it works Cool. Hope some people will step up and they just need to have lived in Helper City Limits for two years? Twelve months. Oh, only one year. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the, the deadline for them to apply is? You know, I don't know. We have to publish it by, again, law uh, for 15 days. So it should have been published this week. And then that way we can fill it on the 4th when our first council meeting occurs in 2024. Got it. So. All right. Well, that's all I have. Thanks so much for talking, Denise. Really great to get to know you a little bit better. Good to know you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good night. You too.